Welcome to the Following Films Podcast. I'm Chris Maynard, your host. Today we have a special episode featuring Will Helmuth and J. Scott Worthington, the director and writer of Dixieland. Dixieland is set in the Civil War and centered on a black Union physician, Charles Colster, played by Tony Todd. After his regiment is destroyed, Charles flees into the Virginia woods, stumbling on a Confederate soldier hiding in a cave. They share a fire and try to find a moment of understanding before the sun comes up. But before we begin our conversation with the filmmakers, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is an independent bookstore that believes in the magic of storytelling and in the power of the cinematic arts. If you're looking to expand your collection of films, music, books, or anything else, visit your nearest Bookman's and discover something truly wonderful. If you haven't already, please follow the following films podcast on Spotify to show your support. This will help us to continue to bring you in-depth conversations with the talented individuals who shape the world of cinema. Dixieland is playing film festivals nationwide. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Good to see you both. How are you doing today? We're doing oh. great. Oh, hey. <laughs> doing great. So how did the screening at Holly Shorts go for you? How was everything? It went great. It, it went really well. Like, um, <clears throat> they they did a it was a good quality projection, which is always good. Um, the theater was pretty packed. It was nice. a full house, which is always great. Mm-hmm. And our block was like it's it's one of the it's up there with with probably one of my favorite blocks um, that we've been in in film festivals. Um, uh, with with not just Dixieland, but some of uh, our like it other was a proper yeah. period blocks. So mm-hmm. everything was focused on that, and just the whole yeah. level of craftsmanship. It's insane what you can yeah. pull off on short film budgets now. I just am astounded what yeah. all these people pulled off. Well, it's it's one of those things where short films when you. I'm 47. So when I think of short films when I was in my 20s and what they looked like when you had people shooting things on Super 16 and they had to spend $45,000 to make something like that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you see kids that are doing things on an iPhone. And yeah. you're, or, you know, you see people that are doing a period piece in a cave essentially, and it works. <laughs> and it's just so, can yeah. you talk a little about the audacity of doing a period piece on a, uh, on a short film budget? Love yeah, to. it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. We, um, just jumping off, off of that, even like we, we just, um, pooled our money to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think between the two of us, we had, six or seven grand somewhere in that you know range yeah i think our um, final budget r- arrived somewhere at like seven grand or 7500 after post which wow. is a little bit nuts now that is <laughs> coupled with a lot of like you call in favors you have like friends mm-hmm. working for you like william specifically has um developed so many great relationships over the course of his career as a dp <laughs> and i can let him of course speak to that but when you're a good dude and you're good at what you do, people want to actually come and hang out with you for a weekend and work on your project. And William Mm -hmm. has a lot of incredible people around him that love to do that. And because I work with William, I get the pleasure and privilege of getting to enjoy that myself. Well, (laughs) not many times do you hear about a movie that has a sub El Mariachi budget that has Tony Todd in it. You know, you have like a legendary actor in the film. So talk a little bit about uh, calling in all those favors and how you're able to pull this off. I mean, it it really was like all all around favorite, like just very, um, 
everything came together because of relationships. Like yeah. I shot a movie last year, a feature with uh, Tony Todd in it. He co-starred in it and uh, I, I was the DP on it and he and I became friends and um, it, we were at the time we had planned on the character of Chuck being younger. Um, but as I was talking to Tony, I, I kind of started thinking, imagining him, you know, in that, in that cave, you know, as Chuck and thinking like, well, this could be kind of cool. And he's, you know, kind of a name. Um, and we were, we were hanging out, you know, like laughing and joking around together, having a good time. And so I pitched the idea to Jay and it turns out Jay's a big fan of Tony Todd. So um, it's just a small world, but he was a, a, a lead actor or lead character um, guest in my favorite Star Trek episode of all time. Uh, Star Trek D Space Nine, The Visitor. And he just crushed it. Like as a kid, that episode yeah. devastated me. And coming as an adult, like I remember that vividly. And then yeah. he brings up he's working with Tony. And of course, I lose my mind. Yeah. He, so then he, I said, please go yeah, ahead. I, oh, no, that's what, yeah. So I just pitched the idea of, you know, at, approaching Tony about it. And Jay was all on board. So I, I did just, you know, asked him one day and he was really excited about it, stoked to read the script. He read it, loved it. And, you know, jumped in. So, and it adds yeah. a dimension to the character that I think wouldn't have been there if you would have had somebody younger playing it. There's a world weariness to him where he's seen this before and he knows the inevitability of mm -hmm. the reaction here. And so, I think if you have a younger actor, they could have. There's plenty of people that could have pulled it off, but I think it adds a greater depth to the whole piece. Hundred percent. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's just one of those happy accidents. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about the idea of doing the where this came from, the writing process on this film? Sure. Uh, so, this actually started as a stage play I wrote all the way back in high school. Wow! It like it's two thousand four, ancient times, uh, and it it the whole core idea was always to have soldier on either side that stumble on each other at a campfire and they have a conversation and they figure out some way of finding a moment of understanding. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always loved that core idea. And I love like throwing opposing sides and managing to kind of bring up the humanity, despite your very polar opposite, you know, perspectives and issues. And then naturally it's been a couple decades. I've matured and learned a lot myself over that time. And so you come back and you get to revisit this small idea and try to apply all that stuff that you've kind of absorbed and learned over the years. And then the big change to the core idea from that was uh, choosing to have one of the characters be a Black character instead mm -hmm. of having be two white soldiers, which also very much changes the dynamic and tone of everything. But we wanted to make a point of not just telling yet another slavery story. One, I wouldn't feel qualified to even write that, but it also finding a way to tell a new perspective or point of view within the Civil War that can also be through that gaze. And it, it having that physician that has all that various stuff happening and brewing on the surface that they bring to that moment in the cave when they're talking to a very racist uh, Confederate soldier, yeah. it, just, it just changed it all um, in really, really cool ways. And like you say, Tony with his, you know, being a little bit older and having all this life experience to bring to play brought even more layers to it. And then Tony himself brought all kinds of incredible uh, internal life to what he was choosing um, to do yeah. with the character. Wild uh, ride. He, he just delivers a great performance here. And um, you mentioned writing this as a play, uh, you know, back in 2004. 
um, your high school writing was a lot better than mine because anything that I go back and I look at, if I'm cracking open one of those trapper keepers and there's not a single fucking idea in there I want to look at again. It's the only good one. Yeah. All of it, the rest of it's crap, but that one was pretty solid. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I'm glad you did it because you got something good here. And my the, o- the only thing I hate about this film is that it's as relevant today, probably more mm-hmm. relevant today than it was back in 2004, which is uh, very unfortunate. but here we are. Yeah, yeah, that was, I think, one of the big reasons we even wanted to tell this particular story is, I mean, for one, it's 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 an intimate story. And so it should be easy to do on a budget in theory. Of course, it's right. still period piece. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but yeah, the relevance of it is you look around and you just kind of see our country split on two crazy divides and having a really hard time talking to each other, just talking to each other, being able Talk- to even yeah. hear yeah. each other. And so telling a story like this, where you go back in time to comment on what's happening in the here and now, and like another time where we couldn't even talk to each other and still figure out, could there possibly be a way to, to see the other person as a human? I think that is really relevant to focus on. Well, it's that separation. You put it at an arm's length and it becomes digestible. Um, exactly. Where if you set this now with a Republican and Democrat, you know, two people that have opposite sides that are clashing with each other, it's there's no way of not coming across like you're on a soapbox at that point. So yeah. if you set, you put this on a space station, you know, whatever it is, this deep space nine version of this story. Mm-hmm. Now um, you're talking, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do the alien yeah. mind version of this film and then yeah. essentially it's that same idea and it does work. And I think it's more digestible when you make mm-hmm. things, when you make it a genre, you know, this is a period film and something mm-hmm. like that. I think that makes it so that it's a, uh, we don't reject it because there's something innate right. in us that when we're being told things directly, we will reject them. But if you mm-hmm. kind of put, we, we, we handle things in metaphor. I don't know why we're so broken, but we need that that way. <laughs> it's it's like, uh, it's yeah. almost like you need plausible deniability <laughs> in, a, in a way. And, yeah. and I actually can tell, I've been talking, harping on this with William forever. This is why I love genre so much because yeah. whether it's horror, sci-fi fantasy, even, you know, period pieces, Western, you get to take a step away from the present and then you have the opportunity to comment on the present and really good, great, Great genre always manages that. So we always, were attempting. Yeah, uh, I mean, agreed. Yeah, that's a big part about like. Um, well, like if, going off of all this, what what I love about the, the this genre element is like you can you can take not only take situation the Civil War things like that comment on what's happening now, which we had a lot of discussions about that with, you know with, with all Philip and Tony who are the, the actors and and Jay and I and everything like. Um, but also it, you, you, in my opinion, can sometimes create this multi-layered experience where you're transporting people to this other time, you know, and, and telling a story that's interesting without in, any commentary even, yeah. but then, you know, but then you're weaving in all this stuff as well. Like it, it can work, it can kind of stand independently almost on like any of these legs, um, so yeah, with any kind of genre when it's done right, I just find it so so like rich and and fun and Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookmans. So the last time I went into Bookmans, I went straight over to the movie section as I often do, and I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there. I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see, something I've been meaning to see, and there's a blind spot. 
And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novel's what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil, that's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than, it feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it, highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. And I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. It's, it's great. So but same yeah. here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the reason I, and I'll said this a million times, but the way that I discovered Kurosawa was by going to see horror films at the same repertory theater that played that stuff. It was by going to see night of the living dead. You know, it's just, you yes. go to those places and they all swim in similar circles and that's yeah. how you, you, and what you realize is, you know, as a 12 year old, a 13 year old, there was no separation in my mind between those things. And then as you get a little bit older, you realize, oh, no, no, there's things that are art and there's things that are, you know, this popcorn or they're trash or they're, you know, maybe it's a something that you would be a little bit ashamed of for liking that thing and then get a little bit older again and you come back around to who you were when you were, you know, 12 years old. Exactly. So. I mean, even something like Night of the Living Dead, but also, yeah. also a Tony Todd. Tony Todd, the remake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, you've got this. Um, it, it on the surface, it's this popcorn movie, but it actually has some really interesting um, social commentary, commentary as happening well. underneath. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's supposedly <laughs> by accident, though. From really, says. <laughs> I yeah, mean, Ramona no, says that the guy that was supposed to play that Ben 
was a replacement actor. It was a white actor up until a week before the shoot. They replaced wow. him because somebody backed out uh-huh. and he was just going with the best actor who happened to be a black guy. It was something that almost he said, Romero said that he didn't realize he had something until he was on the way to develop the print and MLK was assassinated. And then things wow. started clicking in. He's like, oh, I just made a movie where a black guy slaps a white woman and it. This might actually cause a little bit of a disruption more so than I thought. From what he yeah, said, I don't know. Yeah. But then you've also got the ending where, you know, he survives the zombies only to get killed by the redneck. Yeah, exactly. Which you, it just, and again, it's that same, same thing <laughs> with, with putting Tony Todd in this. It adds a layer to it yeah. that he supposedly wasn't thinking about that. It was just going to be the rednecks that show up and kill him. Look at that. That's just mm-hmm. like the pulling the rug out at mm-hmm. the end was going to be the twist, but it turns out that that was the thing that we all grab onto. And sometimes we back our way into social commentary also. Yeah, which is pretty phenomenal. That's what's cool about art. It's so fun. yeah, it's the happy accident of alchemy. Uh, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I even on like even on our film, I think about how uh, the magic of what the actors bring to it and how that creates all these nuances and, and things happening underneath. Philip specifically on his side of the equation is playing a legitimately bad dude in a lot of ways. Yeah, but finding <laughs> like sure. but bringing up some kind of like actual humanity underneath mm-hmm. that. It just it it changes it, and then it creates that unintended commentary, unintended complexity, and it's really fun mm-hmm. to just witness. Yeah, it's it's all about empathy, you know. Like Philip and I had a lot of discussions about him right right at the beginning. You know, we we I just told him like, hey, it's gonna it's just it's gonna be too easy to think about this guy as you know bad, you right. know. And he was like, oh yeah, I totally agree. Let's talk about who he is, you know. So we were talking about you know, where he grew up, you know, what, what his relationship was like, like, I don't know, with his mom or, you know, just like all kinds of things. Like, did you really? really, Yeah, we did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, it just really, really got into the humanity because everybody, literally everyone on earth, you know, was a kid growing, you know, and, and had that element of innocence at some point in time. Oh, you're not Um, born that way. You're taught it. mm -hmm. And so, yeah just really trying to get into you know how like his internal monologue and and his sense of guilt or shame and and like you know how what what does he imagine like the the people are important in his life like what would they think about him and who he's become you know things like that like you know really trying to get into some of this um and and philip is just super down and he he, he does a great job as you say he he never plays it the one note obvious mustache mm-hmm. twirling villain side of things, which would be very easy to do. Yeah. Um, where I think he he's not playing the bad guy. He's clearly the bad guy, but he's not playing the bad guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, in some ways, how I like to uh, to think about this film is is that actually ne- neither Philip or Tony's character, Tony's character is obviously not the bad guy, but I don't even like to think of uh, Philip's character as an antagonist bad necessarily. he's not the, the war yeah. is the antagonist um and 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 they're both uh victims of that it's and like, like you say like you know what you're taught so if yeah. you're taught and imprinted upon you these really terrible biases that you carry within you and they calcify and they take on a life of their own i mean you're so responsible for the actions that you do after yeah. that but that you were not set up for success and breaking off of that is an incredibly difficult thing and it's yeah. not i don't feel like it's a point of finding 
a great deal of empathy for the choices and actions of the war right. or the people that did it. It's really just around this moment of desperation that, you know, your life is ending and wanting to have a human connection there with mm -hmm. you that yeah. of all the people that you could have said, I want to have a connection with, this would have been the last person you would have chosen to be there with in your last moments, but this is who you have. What are you going to do with it? And he's still trying to put out the olive wrench to make a connection as sloppy and, uh, awkward as it is, he's still attempting to find that connection. And that's where you see, I think the empathy in this character. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how, what's the future for the film? How is this going to be playing the festivals for the rest of the year and then eventually just be put up or what are you thinking about doing with it? Yeah. So, you know, we are, um, we'll be in the festival circuit through next summer is what it looks okay. like. Um, and then when that's done, we're kind of, looking for a home for it um you know it'll be online somewhere uh it, it's 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 tricky because you know there are certain like genre uh channels like you know dust is a great example for like sci-fi our previous sci-fi sci short was on that yeah. yeah yeah um you can put it up there but like civil war like period like there's not really you know not a lot um of, of big platforms uh, out there uh, for that, but we Bandor like... does that stuff. If you're familiar with that one, no, they no, they they put that. up some indie films and shorts and stuff that's pretty interesting. That's a little okay. bit all over the place. It's not just a. It's not like a Shutter or you know a genre specific streaming site where they just do kind of a lot of festival films. Places that oh, haven't nice. had a home, they put it there. So one to think about. They, they... Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's going up there, um, and so. Yeah, we'll we'll see how the rest of the festival circuit unfolds. We got, you know, more uh coming up that we'll be announcing soon. But the um um yeah, you know, that that's a that's Dixieland. So yeah. well, and then off of that, uh we we uh, I remember a very distinct moment on set where uh like Tony put his arms around us as we're walking up to, you know, film the next scene and goes, Boys, what are we gonna do next with this? Where are we taking yeah. this? Nice. And William and I are looking at each other going, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so we we dig we we do have a uh, a pitch deck where we are developing a TV series expansion that oh wow kind of our idea with it is this could be the beginning of like one story that we could tell over the course of American history because there are so many various stories in American history that could be told that haven't been told before. So we have been working on like, I call it a, a American history story. Like yeah. if Ryan mm -hmm. Murphy decided to make a show about history, this would be it. Every season mm -hmm. would be dedicated to telling a new story within American history and delving into kind of Americana and the legends and stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, but then every season tells a new one of those we keep the same cast the whole time though. So we're constantly recasting people in new roles. We get to keep yeah. the same like core team, uh, but we get to just move our way through, uh, you know, history and highlight various things that haven't been touched on. Mm -hmm. we, we think it's really cool. We don't what's, think there's anything quite like it. What's the untapped area in American history that you want to tackle? A oh, lot of it. We've got a lot. <laughs> yeah. God, I've got so many ideas. Yeah. It was actually I mean, once we started season, like going in, there's so many there's options. There's a ton. I mean, first season would be the easy, is easiest civil war, just because that's kind of the most obvious bridge from the short. Sure. And then, you know, we could go into like uh, American Indian wars, you know, um, we could do uh, Pony Express. We could go into. Yeah. Jay, he's dedicated to that. Uh, uh, Seneca. Yeah. Seneca, uh, yeah. I, I actually, this is one of my favorite ones about this. Uh, I recently stumbled on this story uh, that 
there was a village in the heart of New York City in the 1800s that was one of the biggest black uh, free citizens towns in all mm-hmm. of America at the time. You had like over 200 people. It was a mix of different races, and they had property. They were voting. They were a thriving community. And then New York City decided to use eminent domain and basically wipe the town out, like push everybody oh, wow. out, buy all the property, raise it to the ground, and then they built Central Park right on top of it. Who was the mayor at this time? I feel like I've heard this story before. I wish I knew that. So I would sound like an expert on this period. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I can't remember the guy's name. I feel like I've heard this story before. I got to look this up because it's come up a few times. They only recently discovered this thing even existed because they stumbled on a dig during the early 1990s, I believe in Central Park. And they they found all these artifacts going, holy crap, Mm -hmm. there was a whole village here. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's never been it's never been told like that story has never come up before in any form of media as far as i know and that's the kind of stuff that'd be like let's tell the forgotten tales let's tell the ones where we can zero in on a period and and talk about something that hasn't shown up on media before and then you know like we've been discussing you can maybe comment a little bit on where we are in the here and now throughout all that because history affords you the opportunity to do that love that man i hope that comes to fruition uh yeah i'm excited by that idea Awesome. Well, thank you both gentlemen for taking the time to do this today, man. I really appreciate it. And congratulations congratulations on the film. I think you got something really special here. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Great, appreciate man. it. Yeah, I, I really did like the film. Really, it was that out of all the films I watched, uh, Holly, this year, there was probably about 30 or 40, something like that, that I watched. This was definitely one that stands out. So great job, guys. Thank really, you. really thank something you. to be proud of. Thanks so much. Awesome. Nice to meet you guys. Going to meet you, you too. Well, sir. All right, cool. Thank All you. Right. And if you have anything, um... time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope. <laughs>